If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. I want to start this week's episode by saying a thank you for making this podcast part of your routine. Now, there's thousands of podcasts out there, and it means a lot to me that you choose me as your coach and as your mentor. So I have an invitation for you today. If you like my philosophies and you're ready to join a group of people who are growing and taking action towards financial freedom and fulfillment, then hop on a call with someone on my team at rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call to find out how we can help you achieve those goals. Trying it alone is something I tried, but trying it with others accelerates the journey toward your success. You don't have to do it all alone. We are there to help. So will you take the next step? All you have to do is say yes, and let's get started. Today's guest is a certified Scrum Agile Master, human behavior consultant and best-selling author, mentor, and an evangelist for project management. His appetite for knowledge and passion for the profession makes him an internationally sought-after speaker, delivering keynote presentations for conferences and events around the world. He holds so many designations, I can't even mention them here, but he is also a director for the John Maxwell team. Rick founded R2 Consulting, LLC, and has worked for organizations such as GE, Xerox, and CA, and has consulted to numerous clients in a wide variety of industries. He's got over 100 implementations of the PMP and Agile systems. He has three previous books, the Everything Project Management book, the second edition, and the Project Management that works. So if you're looking to improve your project management or to drive teams, lead teams, this is definitely the podcast for you. His latest book, No Day But Today, is an Amazon number one bestseller, and he's collaborated on the Amazon number one bestseller, Agile Almanac Book 2. He appears on his weekly radio show live called Work-Life Balance on the Voice of American Business Network Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern or 2 p.m. PST. I'm a uh, guest on one of his episodes as well, so we're doing a little bit of back and forth. Rick Morris is an active member of the Project Management Institute, graduate of the PMI Leadership Institute master's class, so he's got so much depth in this area, it's crazy, but the cool thing is at the age of 11, Rick was a Walt Disney World performer. In high school, he worked at MGM Studios on various projects, including the new Mickey Mouse Club. Taking the experience of his youth and blending it with the knowledge he attained throughout his career. So you never know what your past is going to do to make your future better. And taking that experience has helped him be a really, really great motivational speaker, inspire others, mentor people and project managers. And therefore, his blend of real world experience and down to earth delivery style makes him and his passion for the, pro the profession contagious. I'm really, really thrilled. You're going to love this interview. Super, super intelligent, personable, fun-loving. He's passionate about the workforce and creating value for each organization and working on helping people have work-life balance. He has an I am statement that says, I am an influencer. And today you're going to hear why exactly he's an influencer and the skills and tools he uses to influence other people to come to the conclusion 
to make the decisions that are going to impact their life and make it epic. So please help me welcome my guest, Rick Morris. I'm so glad that you're here today, Rick. Welcome to uh, our podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited about the, uh, the opportunity of this conversation. So for those of you that heard me introduce him, he's got one heck of a bio and we're not going to have a chance to get through everything today, but I'm going to ask you to take a deep dive and talk about some of the things that really matter and some of the things that are near and dear to your heart. We're going to start with the fact that you have an I am statement that says I am an influencer and I want to work my way backwards. We're going to talk about your upbringing a little bit, but why do you start with that? I am an influencer. What does that mean to you? So most of my career, I was a project manager, and uh, project manager is is told one of the greatest lies ever told. They, you know, every company's got a project manager. Every company's got too many projects, not enough people, and they and they bring you in, and they go, you know, you own this project, right? It's yours, and uh, you know, all of us believe that it's the greatest lie told to a project manager. And then you start to realize, well, none of those resources uh, report to me. They, they, they I, I have no um, say into their upward trajectory of the company or or their development. Uh, I can't write a check. You know, I can't just determine my own budget. And it wasn't even my idea to do this project. So the only thing I had to rely on throughout my entire career was influence. And I read a, a phenomenal, I was, I was thinking of, of quitting project management right around the dot-com burst, right, right around 2000. And I read a, an incredible book by somebody who's now become my mentor um, called Radical Project Management. And it was all about influencing up. And, you know, as a project manager, you're so focused on, do I have a task plan? What are my resources doing? Are we on time, on budget? What percent complete are we? So on and so forth. Uh, but we don't take that message and influence up to the executives that can really make a decision that can make or break the project. And the moment that I made that transition and switch in my career is when I really started to attain success in the industry. So the only thing I can develop to, to become a better manager and better project manager is my influence of those people around me. Well, that's fascinating. I've never heard that influencing up because we often talk about leadership is obviously doing the right thing and then influencing those that are within our management or our influence down. So when you say influencing up, is that talking about vision, about looking at um, bringing solutions and suggestions? Tell me a little bit more about that. So it's really solutions and suggestions. So I'll give you a typical um, thing that happens in our career. One of the biggest things I'm known for teaching. So Normally, projects are selected in the beginning of the year. There's a budgetary cycle. People say, what projects do we want to complete? How much is that going to cost? And, and then all of a sudden, you throw it to a project manager. Well, those dates and budgets have become hardened, but there's no plan. We don't know if we can do it. We, we don't know if we have the people available. But then everything comes about the plan versus the journey or the vision of the project itself. And so, for instance, when I'm given a mandated date, you know, they'll say, you've got to have this project done by October 31st. And I'll go, why October 31st? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And so I, I go through that. But the thing that I do, and, and let's play along. It's probably been a while since you've driven to an office. Is that fair? Pretty much, yes. All right, so let's talk about getting to the airport because I assume you travel a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so how long does it take you to get to the airport? 15 or 20 minutes. 15 and every day, every time, right? Pretty much, yeah. Well, what's the longest it's ever taken you? Well, from here, probably about uh, 20 or 25 minutes. It was an accident. Sure. So about a hundred percent increase in time there. And so I'll, I'll do this with an executive. I'll say, how long have you worked here? They say 10 years. They say, how long does it take to get to work? They'll say 20 minutes and I'll go every day. Yeah. So what's the longest? Oh, an hour. Well, what happened? Right. Just like you said, an accident and I'll go, okay. So how long is it going to take you to get to work October 17th next year? 
right? And, and they don't know. And I said, well, you just gave me a 300% variance. You've been here 10 years. There's 200 work days in a year. So you've done this 2000 times. Now you want me to put 40 people in a room that's never done this before. And I got to tell you the exact day. What if we came up with a range? And then I can ask you this question. How, how long into your drive on October 17th, would you take to commit to how long it will take you to work, right? You get past the accident points, you get past the weather, car started, all those things. So I'm doing the same thing. Instead of saying October 31st, what if we said between October 1st and November 15th? And then when do I have to know the exact day so that we don't tell everybody that they failed? So that's a huge example of influencing it up. It's still their decision. I'm just bringing a real world example as to why that that's a negative consequence to the 40 people working on the project. I love that a lot because what you're doing also is you're showing that you have experience and that you're bringing that experience to them so they can make a decision where everybody wins versus what I would assume is a lot of people living under unnecessary stress for fear of not making a deadline that was just chosen out of the sky. Right. And for, and for no reason, I actually experienced that at an insurance company I was putting in a system and contractually we had to be done by March 31st. When we did our plan, it was like around you know, April 20th, it wasn't bad, right? But, but still, there's 20 days beyond, you know, what they wanted. And everybody was freaking out. And when I asked the CIO, why March 31st? He goes, eh, I don't know, it was the end of the quarter. Sounded good to me, right? There, there was no reason, but all these people are losing sleep. And so through those experiences, I've become a warrior for the people doing the projects, right? It, it, we have two people in this scenario, the, the project sponsor and the project manager that are determining the outcome and the stress of you know, hundreds of people. And so I became the voice of the hundreds of people and that's when my career shifted. That's really cool. And I, I mean, it's not any different than a, than a plane that's flying from New York to LA with the anticipation of arriving at 523 but it doesn't know the crosswinds yet. It doesn't know things that might come up. And throughout the flight, it gives updates. And the captain actually comes on and goes, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're hitting a strong headwind. Looks like we're gonna arrive seven minutes late. So new information creates the opportunity for a new decision without the stress of having to hit some fic fictional timeline. Well, I like to I like to use the airplane example as well, talking about end-to-end -end uh, promise or end-to-end -end process mm -hmm. for people. So for instance, um, let's say, let's say you were supposed to land at 523 and you actually land at 503, but now there's a delay because the gate wasn't ready for you. So you right. got to get the people in. There. So right. when you say 523 in your mind, you're thinking, okay, it's six o'clock. I'm walking out the door with my luggage and now it's 615. Right. Yes. If you go back and look at the flight, the flight will say it was early. But yeah. you as a customer was late and that's end-to-end yeah. -end uh, process. We don't, we don't care about whose fault it was. We care about we had an expectation which was explicit and, and you, know, you missed that. So you have a very keen sense because you actually at the beginning of the call said you probably haven't driven to an office for a long time. So I'm having this feeling of an intuition for people. And I want to ask you this question because a lot of people listening to this podcast are solo entrepreneurs. So they may not have a big project, but they may put some fictitious dates in for themselves to create an end goal. So I need to sell X by X date without all the information of crosswinds and accidents and et cetera that can come up in the business. How would you coach them on, on not being overstressed with just choosing some date out of, the, out of, out of a random number? It's a, it's, a, it's a different question just because of what you said earlier is intuition of people. There's actually four real types of, of communicators. We're not talking about Myers-Briggs or that, but I'm, I'm a huge believer in DISC and DISC profiling. 
Um, and, and so what I did is, is again, through influencing people, I need to learn how to communicate where they are, right? I, I don't want to communicate above them or below them. I need to communicate to where they are so I can get them where they need to be. And so I started an intensive study on how to deal with people. And what's funny is, is in your bio as well, you, you said you owned a, a restaurant. And I, I came up and kind of matured through the restaurant running Bennigan's, if you can remember. And, and I learned so much about people through that experience. So for me, I don't care if I'm a project manager, if I'm a car salesman, I actually sold lawn and garden at Sears. If you, if you know people and if you know how to influence people, and, and let's, let's be clear on that word. It's not manipulation of. It's not taking a technique to manipulate somewhere they are. It's influence to get them what they want. And if you satisfy what they want, they're going to like you and they're going to follow you. It's a, it's a very simple uh, pattern. So I had to learn how to shut my own brain down to meet them where they are. So that's where the intuition comes from is uh, I'm a naturally high eye personality, uh, massive ADD. And I used to miss all kinds of things. So I had had to have trained my brain to slow down and observe everything around me, not just what the person's saying, what their mannerisms are, what's going on behind them, all that stuff. Um, and so that's where that intuition comes from is from studying people in, in a way that I can help them achieve what they want. So then to answer your question directly, um, there's some people that, that have so many tasks that get overwhelmed. And so when they get super overwhelmed, I tell them just get one thing done, be happy with the one thing you got done. Right. Don't because I, I have a great friend that I talk to all the time and she'll be like, well, I have 80 things to do and I got all this. OK, well, what did you get done? Like, tell yourself the list of what you did get done that day. So to answer your question specifically around plans and, and disk profiles, if you're a high D, I coach them to, to make bullet point lists and see those lists get crossed off. If, if you're a high I. Um, you get overwhelmed by the things you didn't do. So for instance, uh, you know, you've got 30 bins of clothes that you want to organize and you got one done, you're actually upset that the other 29 didn't get done versus being happy that one did get, you know, mm -hmm. get done. So it's, it's depending on the person and, and the intuition I have, but there's a lot of different tricks um, that we can use to feel that satisfaction of a job well done. So let, let's go back now and shift gears here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about your upbringing because one of the things that I like to talk about on this podcast is we were all given labels by our caretakers, uh, the people that influenced us while we were growing up, our teachers and primarily our parents if they raised us. And we get these labels and I tell the story of this cute little you know, freckled kid that was told many, many times, oh, you're so cute, you're so cute. And this young boy learns how to take advantage of that, manipulate that and mm -hmm. get his way until later when he's 16 years old, the, the, the freckles turn into pimples and he was no longer the cute kid, but he was pizza face. And he was the type of kid that didn't feel like he belonged. Yeah. And we have many of these labels. You're too, you're too old, you're too young, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're, you're what have you. And it goes to these many women who are very, very beautiful, who are insecure because they're afraid now that their beauty won't last. So tell me a little bit about the effects of labels for you growing up and, and the relationship it had maybe with your parents. You know, I... I, I... Everybody likes to, to complain about parents and their upbringing. I, my parents instilled a belief in me that I can do anything. And that, that started young. I was, I was 11 years old 
Uh, I was taking dance lessons within like four months of that. There was an audition for Walt Disney World and I got selected as one of the 12 kids that that got to do these seasonal shows and, and be on TV, all that stuff. But I remember when I was going in for an audition um, the next season, I, I went in saying, you know, I don't care if I if I get it or not. I'm, I'm fine. And uh, I was the last person cut. And that just crushed me it, it, because, but, but the reason why is they were holding on to me that the, the directors of the show pulled me aside and they said, we just, we love you. We, we wanted you, but you're just too tall. You, you, you're actually taller than some of the people that are going to be playing your parents in the show. And, and we, Whoa. we hold on to you as, as long as we possibly could. And so they said, when you're 18, you can come back to work for us. Well, for me, that's six years away. So I gave yeah. up on that dream. Right. But uh, I just had this restless spirit. My parents allowed me to, whatever it was that I focused on, they said, you just have to focus on that, right? You just, just go on that, on that path. But they didn't really direct me on, on what that would be. What's interesting to me, though, is, is my dad did have a dream for me, which was to take over a company that he started in 78. They were the first software company to automate an insurance claim on a mainframe. Uh, it's a system the, the company's still around called USSI and there was three guys that started it and they each had sons and their dream was that the three sons would take over the business and, and keep running with it. And I rebelled against that so much. And so I got into entertainment. Um, I actually uh, worked on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club. I got to tour with, with bands and all this stuff. Um, and when my dad got sick, um, I blew town. I lost all my connections, just got into really self-destructive behavior what, why I tell that story though is, you know, I got into restaurant management and then I fell into IT and I worked in, you know, help desk. And I remember I'm putting together a speech and I am a project manager for an insurance company in the software division. And I remember the, it, the realization just smacked me in the face of as much as I tried to rebel against my father's dream, I naturally fell into exactly what he wanted me to do because he was the project manager of the software company. I was just like, wow, did I show you dad? You know, I was like, oh boy, yeah. Ooh, look at that. Um, yeah, and you so went that, the long way there. Yeah, so that I showed you dad became kind of one of my, my labels. And so early on, it was, you know, showing him that I could be a productive member of society because I wasn't in a good space when he passed. Um, and then um, I could be successful and I could start my own company versus, uh, chasing my dreams and fulfilling my destiny. So the the tone in which I say it used to be, you know, I showed you dad. And now it's, you know, with pride, I showed you dad. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's interesting how the, you know, my father was a management consultant and I ended up becoming, you know, a coach for businesses as well. So even though consciously I didn't follow his footsteps, I started in multiple businesses. I ended up very in a very similar vein also. So you wonder how much we're affected by osmosis, just being around people and the conversation, the thoughts, and then taking them on. So tell me a little bit about when your dad got sick and how old were you and how long did that kind of interrupt your life? So he was diagnosed uh, with cancer, lung cancer on my 18th birthday and was gone before I was 20. Um, so I had, had left school, um, come home to take care of, of the family. I remember at, at 19, you know, he was in hospice care at home and the hospice worker told me that I had to tell my dad it was okay to die. And, and it wasn't okay with me at all. But he was holding on for us. He's a very, very strong man, uh, probably the strongest influence in my life. 
And so, you know, I had to, I had to look my father in the eyes and say, it's okay to die. And, and the next morning he was gone. And so again, very angry. I'm Italian, right? So I just got so angry. And so my mom chose this song called if tomorrow never comes for the, for the funeral. And I was, I was furious at that. Um, music is such a huge influence in my life. And I was furious that we chose that song because tomorrow's not coming for my dad. And, uh, so I went on this path of self-destructive behavior, like I said, but um, through connections and that kind of stuff, um, you know, I've worked with, with Joey Fatone quite a bit, and he had booked this play called Rent on Broadway. And so several of us came up to see it. I didn't know anything about the play. And then in this play, there's an underlying theme called No Day But Today. And uh, there's a beautiful affirmation that says, uh, there's only us, there's only this, forget regret, or life is yours to miss. No other path, no other way, no day but today. And I had that realization, and I remember going backstage and talking to Joey, and I was like, I got to find the guy who wrote this. This is, this is gorgeous. This is beautiful. And turns out the guy who wrote it, Jonathan Larson, to make a long story short, had always wanted to see a play, his play make Broadway. And he died before opening night of Rent, which has become the sensation, right? So the 20-year anniversary tour is going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just, everything hit me at once. And, and that was the day I felt, if tomorrow never comes, shift to no day but today. And I needed to start living my life. Wow. Wow. That is beautiful. Goosebumps. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was my calling. That's right when I decided, all right, I'm going to be a public speaker, a motivational speaker. I'm going to get out and tell stories. Um, all with, you know, I can't, can't do anything about yesterday and tomorrow's not guaranteed. So all I have is today. So I want to break down a couple of things for the listeners. There is, um, you know, obviously had a strong relationship between with you and your father and it led to a lot of passion, a lot of energy. And we even culturally have labels. So you said, you know, well, I was angry. I'm Italian. So we are bred and raised to believe that certain cultures and nationalities, it's justified to be a certain way. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying for people to take note that we relate that way. And then you go on to talk about an affirmation. And this is another key part of what we keep on telling ourselves is what we become, in my opinion. And that affirmation certainly rang with you, but it also kind of sewed everything together and would you say now that you live your life a little bit um, more in the present because of all of those events? Yeah. I, so I, I took all of that, that, that passion and everything else. And then I got into project management and I, I, I merged the two together. And so I started thinking about, you know, it, it's always when you hear these inspirational stories, you know, Inky Johnson's a, is a friend of mine. He, he got hurt in college football and, and, you know, paralyzed and he was, he was going to be a first round draft pick. Uh, and he's one of the best motivational speakers I know on the circuit. But when I hear these motivational speakers, it's, you know, they had gotten sick, they had a tragedy and all that stuff. And I, I started to look around and say, I'm not going to wait for a tragedy for me to realize that life is, is golden. And I wanted to start teaching from that. So what I, what I did was develop a system. And I actually, you know, based it on no day, but today, but I developed a system that says, what do I want my loved ones to say about me when I die. And, you know, it's a morbid thought, but we're all going to get there. We're all all at some point going to be in our deathbed and there's going to be a funeral. So um, I started thinking about the roles in my life. I'm a husband, you know, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a business owner, I'm a friend. And, And so when I break those roles down, what are the words I would hope they would use about me? So for my kids, let's just go directly to that. 
I wanted to be a present father. And anger was an issue for me, as, as we said, as a label, was something I had to overcome. But as kids, I was very angry. And so I wanted to be a happy and present father. And so I sat down and interviewed them. What does present mean to you, right? And it changes over time. And, and, and I was surprised at the answer because what we think we're doing for somebody, it could be, you know, generating adverse results. And it's okay to ask, like, I want to be known as a present father. What does that mean to you? And then fulfill that. And so knowing where I want to be at eventual area allows me to direct my behavior today. What can I do today to be present for my son? What can I do today to be present for my daughter? And it becomes now a routine that, that I can uh, think through and, and ask these questions and answer them um, in order to fulfill my life's purpose. Oh, and you are speaking my language, brother, when you say, you know, I am a father, I am a business person, I am a public speaker. And this is the whole thrust of this, this I am movement is consciousness around who you are because we have this desire to remain consistent with that description of ourselves and if you make a, an agreement with your business partner or with somebody you're going to speak for or for your children or your wife uh, or or as a as a son for instance i bought a house for my mother uh, i wanted to be like you a great son i wanted to make my mother's life who you know she went through the war as good as it could possibly be she did birth me, but until you decide what that definition is for who you are, you might end up randomly behaving in a way through the, you talked about at the beginning, your disc model, just how you are wired and you think, well, everybody else wants a list and they want to check that list off quickly. Even if they're a high eye, they don't want to do that, but you think they do because you don't have a consciousness around that until you do the work that you've done. So I really salute you on that. That's amazing. That's I want to hit you on that word you just second said, though, consistency. So, yes. um, in, in fact, uh, the, I'm going to be speaking on your, your Monday night group around the art of, uh, of ethical influence. And one of the six principles uh, that Dr. Cialdini writes about is consistency, that we, we have an automatic response to wanting to appear consistent. So, if you look mm -hmm. at it from a marketing perspective, they did a study where they just randomly asked people if they wanted to try a new soda and they, they, they baseline the results. But by asking a question that makes people feel like they're being consistent. So they changed one thing and it was like a 300% uptick on people that tried the soda. And they asked the question, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? Mm -hmm. Well, if you say yes, and they go, great, would you like to try this soda? Now you, you have this inner conflict of consistency. And those are even the little subtle automatic click were kind of responses that we have in our brains about appearing consistent. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I like to say that everything's framing. When you frame it, that they're, you suggest that they're, and you as an influencer know this, you suggest that they're adventurous and it opens up a new possibility for them. Yep. And that's, that's really um, part of the, the skills of leadership. And, and, and then let segues nicely into you, you work with John Maxwell or, or lead part of his, his uh, organization. Tell me a bit about that because John is um, such a prolific writer and influencer and leader. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, it was really one of my lowest points. Um, so I, I had started my company. I'd been speaking. I had you know, several books that were out. 
And I hit my leadership lid and didn't know what that was at the time, but I almost lost everything. I almost went bankrupt, had to really kind of decide who I wanted to be again and, and go after it. And, and I got uh, a request to, to look at this John Maxwell team. Um, and so I was probably, when I joined, we were probably 3,000 strong and, and we're 30,000 now around, you know, uh, pretty much every country in the world. Um, and there was a quote that he had, had given me, which is, you know, you can be successful, wildly successful by yourself, uh, but you'll never be significant without a team. And once you taste significance, success will never satisfy. And that just, that spoke to my heart because I was doing everything on my own. I wasn't really empowering my people. I wasn't really trusting the process. Um, and so therefore the, that leadership lid had hit. So I kind of went into Maxwell a little selfishly at the time um, because, again, it was like, wow, I can align with John. I could probably leverage some of that content, you know, put a spark into my speaking career. And when he taught me servant leadership, he just awoken my, my servant heart. So we've, we've gotten a chance to travel to Costa Rica together and Guatemala together. And, and he's on a kick of transforming nations through, through teaching values. And um, so, yeah, I'm on the President's Advisory Council uh, for John and, and then was tapped to be the chief interviewer for the Transformational Leader podcast, which we interview the people that we're about to give the, the John C. Maxwell Award to uh, that we do every August. Uh, but John's been a significant uh, influence in my life, but that, that team has been a significant influence in my life. I now have literally 11 coaches in every phase of my life that you know, just I'm sure like I've got a business issue. There's somebody I call I'm upset at my daughter. There's somebody I call there's a problem with, with my heart. It's heavy. There's somebody I call. So um, yeah, but the John Maxwell team has been transformational and, and very, very important in my life. I love that. And uh, I agree with you. I think last time I counted, I have 14, which includes of course my golf coach and swimming coach and all that. <laughs> But I think a lot of people have, and, and let's talk about this a bit, building your team, you know, having the right accountant, the right lawyer, the right psychologist, the right uh, therapist, whatever it is, is it's really, um, like maybe John pointed out, it's a, it's a concept you have to wrap your head around for maybe two reasons. One is a lot of people I talk to just don't believe in pouring money into themselves. And number two, they have to admit that they're not where they want to be, which people struggle with. They're not vulnerable. They're not, they're not willing to say, I don't have all the answers. So what are your thoughts around that? And, and how did you get yourself past that point to, to construct the openness to, to get other people's perspective? Because I believe coaching is helping people see a different perspective. Well, and, and so what was interesting for me was a transition from project manager to coach. So project management is one of those uh, professions that anybody thinks they can do. And they even, you know, through, you know, Donald Trump used it on The Apprentice. You're a project manager. It used to make me mad. I was like, no, I'm a project manager. I, I trained my whole life to become one. You can't just wake up one day and declare it. Um, but I think that happens in coaching as well. And so when I'm talking to people about coaches and, and coaching, the first question I tell them to ask is who's coaching them? Who's coaching the coach? Because if we really believe in the process, then you, if I'm going to coach you, I need to have coaches that are coaching me. I need to believe in the process and believe in that piece. And so when they go, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not getting coaching right now, then they're, they're, you run away. Just, just run from that person um, because they, they don't believe in the process. For me, um, I remember I got a free coaching session through an organization. I was part of the Leadership Institute Masterclass for the, for the Project Management Institute. We got a free hour with this coach. 
And at this time, my business is soaring. It's booming. And I'm like, what is this guy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, come on, dude. Like, he doesn't even know me. <laughs> like, like, what is he going to do in an hour? And so I, I blew off the call like six times. I had to do it to, to be the class. So I get on the phone, and this guy blew my mind, and I still utilize him a, as a coach. In, in one hour, by asking questions, and, and you know, the, the, the best quote I've ever heard is Christian Simpson. Um, who teaches the Maxwell method of coaching. He said, if you give somebody the answer, you rob them of a lifetime of learning. And the answer is always within, you just have to bring it out of them. And that's what a great coach does is just mm -hmm. make you sort through your thoughts and, and come up with your own decision. If I give you the answer, you're going to act on it for three days and then stop. But if you come up with the answer, you're going to act on it for a lifetime. And that was, that was such a huge shift for me. So, uh, I started just asking questions and I'm brutal until I decide that, that somebody can coach, coach me, but then I'm loyal from that point forward. I want to point that out because I absolutely love that. I've never heard it put that way. A great coach helps you sort through your own thoughts and come up with a solution. I think it's absolutely beautiful because so many people are so busy telling other people what they need to do. Of course, we know a great coach asks a lot of questions. But to put it that way really, really sums it up nicely. You, you're, you have a brilliant mind. I get to interview a lot of people, and I can see that you're definitely in a, a, a high, high-level coach. So, Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Let's talk uh, as we're wrapping up a little bit about a couple of things. I'm going to ask you to recommend a book if you have one that uh, maybe struck you in the last year or so or one you're reading now. And then let's talk just a bit about life uh, and work balance because – a lot of people think that that's something to shoot for. I have my own opinions on it, but I'd love to hear yours. Sure. So books, if you're an entrepreneur, uh, the, war, the War on Art, Stephen Pressfield, um, beautiful book talking about resistance and all the different ways. Super fast, easy read. Uh, my other favorite uh, go-to book uh, outside, you know, I can recommend any Maxwell book. I, I think I'm contractually bound to, to re recognize <laughs> that, but uh, uh, Positive Intelligence. Um, is just an, uh, that one was was groundbreaking for me and uh, talking about a judgment brain, how we beat ourselves up and how to stop that from happening, I think mm -hmm. is just a beautiful book and scientifically based. Uh, the, the final book would be Influence the, the Science and, and Practice of Persuasion, uh, which is by Dr. Robert Cialdini. Yeah. Um, those, those three are, I mean, I read it all the time. And then you can go to the, the ultimate go-to, which is think and grow rich. I mean, we've, yeah, of course. we've had it. And, and I use that in my seminars. I, when I kick off a seminar, I, I start by saying, let me tell you why this seminar is not going to work. I was like, there's what, 30 million copies of think and grow rich that's been sold, but I don't know 30 million millionaires. So what type of person are you? Are you the one that, that buys the book so it's on the shelf? Or do you crack it and start to read it, but you don't do anything with it? Or maybe you read it and didn't apply it. And then there's those few that read it and apply it. And it's the de facto step-by-step -step guide on how to become a millionaire. So, that, so that's that so, piece. So let me stop you on that before you go to the work-life balance. Because I was going to ask you that question anyway, is why is it that so many people read books and fail to absorb and, and develop the new habits. They, they get excited for a day or two. I remember reading uh, The Art of Not Giving a Bleep uh, this year, and somebody asked me how that was three months later, and, and candidly, I consider myself, I am an excellent student, and I like that book, but now I couldn't tell you one thing about it. So, 
I think it's it's I think there's a season in your life in which it has to speak to you because uh, I've, I've read a book and it not, had no impact and I read it again and I was open to it. So there's there's certainly where you are in your life. But I think it has to ignite that inner passion. Change is hard. Um, and again, our brains will automatically go to what's consistent, which could be poor habits. Um, when, when, when I talk about the seminar, I said, you know, some of you are going to be fired up. You took notes, but where are the notes going to go? And what are you going to do with them when you get back, right? Because they'll end up on the corner of your desk. You'll get involved in work and, and you'll forget all about it. And so it's, it's making sure that you schedule time each day to, to feed that mind and feed that passion and, and, and be harsh on yourself, right? Go, golly, I was so super excited. And, and why haven't I done it? I'll, I'll give you an example on that for me is exercise. Look, the, the, we all want to take the pill at night and wake up and lose 40 pounds, but there's a simple formula, eat right, exercise. It's, it's a no brainer, right? But so, so, but for me, exercise was always an issue. And so instead of just saying, well, I'll never exercise or I'm always going to be, you know, 30, 40 pounds overweight, I started to dive in as to what is it? about exercise that that's driving me crazy and what happens in my brain is i'll go hit an elliptical and 10 minutes into it i'm already thinking of 30 other more productive things i should be doing so i stop and so what i learned to do was bring exercise equipment into my office so when i'm bored on a conference call or you know something's going on i can hit resistance bands and do all that other kind of stuff so it's it's determining the why i'm not passionate about it as much as what i should be passionate about yeah well said well said so, so let's talk a little bit about then uh, the work-life balance and, and how does one manage that? So I happen to have a radio show uh, that I've done the last four years, which, which you're going to be a, a guest on on January 3rd, called the work-life balance. Um, and to me, you know, there, there's all these different definitions. I think that it blends. I think when work is naturally supportive of your life, you have the balance. There's no, there's no real, you know, well, eight hours a day, I'm doing this and two hours a day, I'm going to do this an hour. I'm going to do this. It's when work becomes, you're fulfilling your purpose in such a way, a way that work is, is continuous with your life. It's something that you're doing every day, even though you don't know that you're doing it. So coaching be one, one of those things. I mean, I can be at a grocery store talking to a friend and ask them a question that changes what they're doing. I'm working, right? But I'm also fulfilling life and life's purpose. So I, I think the reason why I called my show The Work-Life Balance is, is one, just to bring awareness, but two, it means I can talk about any topic I want to and get away with it on the show, right? <laughs> let's just be honest, work and life. I, if I want to have a, a songwriter on there, that's great. If I want to have you know a CEO, that's fine. But but in, in reality, work and life, it, the, the balance has to become with I'm not sacrificing my life for work. I, I really think that's where the balance starts to co come into to play. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think that the, you know, it's cliche, but at the end of our life, we all say that, you know, I shouldn't have spent so much time at the office. But if your work is passion driven like yours and mine is, where it has to do with helping other people, there's a very fulfilling part to our work. So it's not like we are pulled to it versus working just to pay the bills and come home and make our family's lives better. So I would say that it also has to do with, you know, in this day and age, hopefully people can, you know, one of the things I help people do is get out of what we call get out of the rat race. And I work a lot from home. I work a lot on the road. I go to Asia for a month. I live a lifestyle of six, four, one, one, six months in uh, Arizona, four months in Canada, one in Europe and one in Asia. 
And I do that because I can, because I've created that kind of a balance and that kind of a a lifestyle. And I think if people think in terms of what's possible, then the work-life balance doesn't become such an issue because you get to do things like that. Well, and then the focus of what you're working on or working for, you work hard so you can do 6411, right? I work hard because I want to do the, the country transformation trips with, with John. So it's it's fulfilling my purpose. Like, you know, the, the fact that I can take two weeks and go to Costa Rica and, and give my time willingly um, without coming back and, and worried about, you know, work piled up on the desk or not being able to pay bills. That's That's that achievement of work-life balance for me. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. So let's uh, end today's call with a little bit of your uh, consistent identity. I'd like to ask you, who are you? How would you describe yourself? Um, and you can choose all or different parts of your life to say that. I'm an evangelist for, for a passion and purpose-driven life is, is the, the easiest way to do it. You know, if you ask me what I do, uh, you know, I'm a project manager, I'm a consultant, I'm an agile coach, I work in the entertainment industry. I'm constantly on a certification journey of some sort uh, to, to expand my mind. Um, so, you know, those are all the what's, but the why is, is just to, to really make sure that I'm equipped to help others live their best life. And, uh, you, you know, right, you've been doing this a long time, so I'm sure this has happened to you as well. But, you know, when you get that letter unsolicited from somebody that said, you know, I heard you speak three years ago, you, like you with your goal cast, and somebody comes up to the fulfillment that I receive from that, when, when somebody comes up and says, your words, your experience changed my life, and I'm so grateful, and I do this because of this, it, that to me is is the greatest repayment or former repayment that anybody will give and you were just sharing your story right and and at times you don't even feel it's that exceptional it's just this is what i've gone through this is who i am i I, i've been a creature of necessity and somehow have arrived here right now we all know there's coaching and there's a plan all that but there's times that we feel that way about ourselves and when somebody validates that we have provided significant value to them there's no greater feeling on the earth so i'm in constant chase of fulfilling others so that i can be self-fulfilled Well, that's fantastic. I love it. It's been a real pleasure and an honor to have you on today's podcast. And I want to remind our listeners that the words that follow, I am, follow you. So describe yourself with intention so you can live that purpose-driven life. Like our great friend Rick Morris has uh, shared with us a lot of his, you you can just feel his wisdom and passion. And that doesn't come from practicing this, um, this art of caring for people so much but it comes from doing it consistently day in and day out. So Rick, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for your time. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.